From the Dream Imagine Sports Studios, it is 8 a.m. on the East Coast, 7 a.m. in Soccer House in Chicago, 5 a.m. out west in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Thursday morning. And right off the top of the show, uh, we have a friend of the show and a friend of mine, Sky Eddie Bruce, joining us. Sky, how are you this morning? Great. Good. How are you? I am well. Um, I, you know, yesterday reading some of the stuff that came out, um, it, it was uh, it was it was just kind of crazy to me, uh, kind of seeing what what was uh, going on. Uh, finally, I think um, you know to see some of these sponsors speak up. Uh, we finally saw what pressure does to this federation and they fold it like a house of cards uh in terms of uh, having to to respond now we're certainly not uh uh responding the way that i want to see us respond and, and go all the way and finish this thing off properly but i hope that the uh the, this response from these sponsors leads us to that conclusion of uh you know the the resolution in a fair and equitable way for um the US women's national team what were your thoughts on some of the stuff that took place yesterday and we'll get to to the apology non-apology of Carlos Cordero uh, in a minute but w- what were your thoughts seeing some of these sponsors speak up yesterday Yeah, I mean, this has been a really difficult few days, just seeing this line of questioning come out that the attorneys for the Federation um, chose to go down that path. Um, So seeing a response from the sponsors was uplifting. Um, For me personally, seeing response from my colleagues, my friends in the game, men and women, that this is just enough um, that gave me some energy. Um, I think gave this fight some energy knowing that, you know, we, as a soccer nation, those of us that really care are aligning around um, trying to do what's right. So I feel a little bit more energy and, um, and hope, (laughs) but I think a conclusion and a resolution, um, you know, we're far from that. We, we we've just been, push back, uh, into the 1980s again. And, uh, it's going to take a while, uh, to rebuild some trust and, um, and to work from here. I agree. Um, you know, the, it's the fact that you, you read the comments and you, you see some of the tactics, I guess would be a a word I would use legal tactics, Mm -hmm. um, you know, used, the fact that the that that this was ever allowed 
I mean, you know, yeah. that that's what's so disturbing to me that, Absolutely. you know, that it's one thing behind closed doors and, 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 you know, for anyone watching this show, the the board of directors does a lot of their business in closed session. They, this started under Sunil Gulati. It was not necessarily the practice of the board of, of the nonprofit organization to do all of its business or most of its business behind closed doors. They'll, they'll call it executive session and then they can just keep, keep it out of the minutes. Um, and this is a pattern that started under Sunil. It's continued under Carlos. So, you know, having these conversations about legal strategy, legal tactics, etc., not being in any board meeting meetings, um, uh, minutes, and having those conversations about, hey, how do we want to go about, you know, combating this challenge from the U.S. Women's National Team would have happened in a, a you know, executive session. We would have never known the, the conversations had someone in the room been like, okay, guys, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but do we really think this is a great idea? And they're... I don't they're- know, do you... Do you think this was really discussed, like legal strategy was discussed in the boardroom? I, I wonder and question just the the professionalism and just the structure of the board and the information that everyone is receiving. I'm, I'm curious, do you really think that they actually sat around the board table and discussed that this would be the legal strategy? I don't. Well, number one, there's no way for us to know uh, by the board meeting minutes. Now we may hear from some board members, um, you know, off the record or behind the scenes that, that tell a different story. What, what I'm saying though is, is that if it was discussed and in any shape, form or fashion, it would have been done in that executive session following what's been their kind of uh, normal habits. And therefore, we would have never known if even if it was discussed, you know, amongst the board, hey, this is going to be our strategy. The yeah. fact that that anyone, Carlos, Sunil, Don, the, you know, anyone would have thought, hey, this is a great idea. Let's go with this. Uh, even if it wasn't discussed in a in a, an executive session and was kind of handled with a smaller group of people who kind of like said, hey, here's how we're going to handle this kind of off to the side. To ever think that that was a good idea, knowing that these comments, once they were entered into public record, were going to, someone was going to make them public. Was it's just astonishing to me that you would ever think at that point, hey, let's keep going down this path in this direction with these tactics and go against the U.S. Women's National Team. But in in my view, what I read in these comments, and 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 I'm not a female, you are. I don't have daughters, you do, so you you can speak to this much better than I can. But when I read the stuff yesterday, wouldn't what. I took it as is not just a way to to combat the U.S. women's national team. Those comments to me like said, hey, we think women in general, female athletes are never going to be considered uh, on par with male athletes. I mean, to me, this went way beyond the U.S. women's national team. Did you take it that way? I absolutely did. You know, I think that 
we've just been told that, you know, male players, they're always going to be superior if we look at this from, you know, a, a standpoint of genetics. Um, it, it's ridiculous that we could think that just because they are faster and stronger that they will be superior to the women. And this is, this is why I feel really it's important to speak up right now. And I feel like it's important for me and other women and men to sort of tap into this fight here because of the generation of girls that are now so amazingly disenfranchised. I hated looking through my Twitter feed and seeing comments from coaches that girls came to their practice that night talking about how, they have that, that that they have just as much to give as the boys. That girls are feeling like they have to defend themselves against the very federation that is here to support them, that is here, you know, to administer them. Uh, it, it, it's so disheartening, and so absolutely because of my daughter. Um, you know, there's a generation ahead of me, or a generation of just these badass women who who fought this fight for me and my generation in the 80s that would put up with no crap from anybody who didn't want to give equal opportunity to the girls that they were giving to the boys in the youth game. And, um, and I've always looked back at these women and been so grateful for them and been so aware of the battle that they fought for us girls. And now I felt like yesterday, okay, now it's my time to like channel those badass women and to speak up just a little bit more because the Federation basically just said to us that, you know, athletic ability, um, you know, is, is, is gender based and, and that the men will always be superior to the girl. And, um, I feel I feel marginalized and I feel totally dismissed and um, and I, I don't want to feel that way any longer. So in light of all of this, you have a statement released the same night uh, mm-hmm. that that the US women's national team are going to play. Um, and this seems to be now a pattern with Carlos. He disingenuously will say, you know, uh, or at least I take it as a disingenuous statement. When when you you apologize, you get pressure from uh, you know sponsors. So now you come out with an apology, um, and you you release it the same night as you have a U.S. Women's National Team match. Just a few days ago, the night before International Women's Day, you released this absurd letter um, and and basically challenging the, the the U.S. women, and you know, and then now all of a sudden these comments start to come to light. Uh, you know, on uh, Monday and Tuesday, and, and really starting hitting the the, the public. Uh, this happened uh, before, where it, it just seems to me that um, you know you start to see this more than once it becomes a pattern and yeah. and um and, and so it's very difficult for me to take it and say okay this was this was remorse that this was uh, i'm truly sorry this to me comes across as i got my hand caught in the cookie jar and you know and and my mom's like hey you know 
I told you not to grab any more cookies. And like, I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry, mom. Like that, that's what this comes across to me as. And, and just stuffing the cookies in your face. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. While I'm still <laughs> wanting to eat, don't take the cookies away from me. All right. But I I'm want sorry. my cookies. Um, and, 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 uh, if, if my mom's watching the show, she, she, she would, would, uh, gladly agree that I was always trying to stick my hand in the cookie jar as a kid. Um, so, you know, looking at the, the pattern and the timing of all of these releases from from Carlos, you've either got to be completely tone deaf, which I have a very hard time believing that a guy that is this intelligent, that's that's had this kind of career is, is you know, non, you know, unintelligent. I think the guy's super smart and and so I don't I don't put this down to, you know, a lack of intelligence to me, this comes across as intentional, the timing and and the way everything comes out, it's reactionary. Maybe it wasn't the strategy of, of what you were going to say when you're going to say it wasn't well thought out, but the, the, the timing itself to me seems intentional. And, um, and, and you release this, you have a U.S. women's national team match and, and we all knew what was going to happen. Right. You knew this. I knew this. The world knew that you challenge the U.S. women's national team and they're going to show up. This is one of the things I talked about last summer during the World Cup. I've talked about it uh, even recently uh, when I when I talked to Jill Ellis in Berlin a few weeks ago and did an interview with her. Uh, I brought it up to her how this team and this is probably, you know, other than I, there's a handful of other teams teams that you could say this about the Chicago Bulls in the 90s with Jordan would be another one of these teams that would talk a lot and if you challenge them they would still talk the talk and they would walk it out and nothing you could do about it that is mm-hmm. our US women's national team moxie and and mm-hmm. and they have it in spades you knew when they got challenged you knew when the comments came out regardless of whatever carlos said they were going to show up last night and put on a performance and yet again, they they delivered. What were your thoughts watching some of that and seeing how they handled that moment? You know, they made a statement before the game, turning their warm up jerseys inside out. I mean, I I, yeah. I I think the I think the country is coalescing behind them, and I and I think the federation is in major trouble. Yeah, I would agree on all fronts. And um, seeing the women turn their uh, the shirt inside out and walk out to the field like that, to me, was a moment that um, that everything clicked for me. Because I think that there have been so many of us, myself included, I'll speak for myself, who have been hesitant to speak out against the Federation because, because I care about it tremendously like i don't want to badmouth some uh, an organization that i that i really want to be behind like i want so much to to be behind this organization i'm also fearful you know i appreciate i love the fact that i'm a grassroots instructor for u.s soccer and i love the work that i'm doing there i would love to have a full-time job with the federation down the road like i don't want to affect that in any negative way and so i feel fearful of speaking out against the policies and and what I'm seeing is happening in the youth game, in the women's game, with equal pay, in so many levels. And so seeing the women stand up like that, it things click for me in a different way, just to, to see that they are working so hard 
and willing and willing to put things on the line. I think that, um, you know, the, the, the energy is building and you're right. The Federation is in trouble. And, um, and there are, there is a, a rally and cry that's stronger and louder than I've ever felt it before. And, um, and I love the fact that the sponsors are getting on board and standing up and, um, and money will talk in this situation where we, we saw that happen yesterday with Carlos's, you know, apology, um, reactionary to the sponsors. So, um, I, I do feel like the Federation's in trouble and, and it should be. <laughs> because they're not leading well. You know, there's this institutional lack of leadership, this systematic lack of trust. Like this has got to, we, we've got to work past this and we have to have more progress because there are millions of young kids whose lives can be positively affected by the game and who yesterday were just told that what the Federation really thinks about them. It, it was so disturbing and I, I like you, am, am happy to see that uh, the sponsors are starting to speak up. The media has not, um, you know, in my opinion, done near enough to bring right. pressure against uh, the Federation. Too many have, you know, gone along to get along. And and I've talked to many off off the record behind the scenes uh, who who have expressed similar views to you, where th- there's been concern that, you know, if they really go at the Federation or if they go at Major League Soccer, if they go at this organization or if they go at this organization, that they don't really feel like they have the freedom to do so without repercussions that they can't mm-hmm. be critical uh in the same way that you know uh, an nfl um you know show on espn you'll see guys on there and if they don't like something they'll just go at it they'll bash it they'll talk about it they'll, they'll have an hour-long show and they'll examine this this and this and we, we're not seeing that regularly in our our soccer media uh especially like on espn and fox the two mm-hmm. broadcasters Amazing. that that yeah. are partners with u.s soccer and major league soccer it, you you don't see that same kind of uh, criticism and critique and it's it's not a cri- cri- i'm not advocating for nasty attacks personal attacks, nothing like that. I'm just talking about looking at situations like this and and just having the freedom to really express what you think without the fear of repercussions. And I think the reason why you saw Taylor Twelman kind of say the things he said in October of 2017 is because he knew, at least for, for a day or two, he had he had the wind at his back that the the public were outraged that the the men's national team had failed to qualify for the World Cup and therefore mm-hmm. he felt like he had freedom to really say what he thought uh, and then shortly thereafter you know he kind of went back in his shell and you didn't really even hear anything from him for months um, and 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 others you know you just you haven't heard a lot from even during this women's national team fight until now we see these sponsors speak up and. And, and you, you get this weak apology from Carlos Cordero uh, yesterday, which to me was just completely disingenuous. Uh, it had to be it had to be 
you know, submitted. It had it had to be said, but it was one of those. It was kind of like I got caught, and and not just the kind of cookie jar example, but it was also kind of like the I got caught, and and now I have to do this. Not that mm-hmm. I wanted to do this, but I have to do this. And in light of all that, you had you know the U.S. Women's National Team put on uh, a show last night, and and um, you know even though. Uh, the federation's philosophy and we now know we know how they really feel about players not just male and female but but bigger faster stronger is is so ingrained to our into our federation that it it actually goes to the point of sexism for them that uh, bigger faster stronger is the is the main determinant of whether or not you're a good soccer player um last night i, I felt like we saw a, a, a good bit of skill uh, and some incredible shots, certainly shots I haven't seen recently from the men's national team on display. And after the game, uh, as she has been really apt to do over the last uh, few months in the World Cup, she was she was she was very vocal. She was vocal again that last night with a great statement. Megan Rapino, I just want to say it's all false to every girl out there, to every boy out mm-hmm. there who watches this team, who wants to live their dream. You are not lesser just because you are a girl. You are not better just because you are a boy. Um, I don't know that you could say it any better Mm -hmm. than that. Um, What were your thoughts in terms of of those comments from Megan and just how they handled themselves in in light of all of this scrutiny and and pressure really to, to have to perform yet again under what should never have been pressure from their own federation last night yeah absolutely i the the women have inspired me megan has inspired me like it's really impressive the way that they have handled themselves through the world cup um i i didn't hear megan's statement last night i saw it this morning and i read that and just felt like she's saying exactly what I want to say. And I think that other people are rallying around that because a lot of us don't have words for these, like this, 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 these feelings that we have, or this frustration, it's hard for us, for me at least to put it into words. And I felt like um, the women are, are sort of channeling what I want to say. And, um, and so I've been able to rally around them as well. Um, I, I think that, that, um, you know, the the bigger picture is that we all want to feel a connection to this federation. I said this earlier, Daniel, like we care so much and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just over feeling so disenfranchised or feeling like I'm not being heard or I'm not cared about. Like it's time for our leadership to really demonstrate that to us. And it will take years for them to be able to bring us back into the fold. Um, it, of course it will happen with the right leadership in place. And, um, and the women have been so, so impressive uh, along the way and have always been. I mean, they've, they've always been, um, you know, inspiring generations of women globally through the work that they're doing. And that's a conversation that doesn't that isn't told enough, like like the, the pressure that these women have to inspire uh, women globally is is significant. And they've they've mass they've done a masterful job at it. 
I agree completely, and that leads me to uh, this next uh, point. Um, Grant Wall released a story um, uh, late last night uh, on SI.com, and uh, headline is uh, U.S. Soccer President Carlos Cordero must resign after disgraceful defense in the U.S. Women's National Team case. Um and he went on to say that Carlos Cordero, the U.S. soccer president who presided over a disgraceful legal strategy, citing, quote, science to belittle the world champion U.S. women's national team based on its gender, should resign immediately. There is no other conclusion that can be reached after the Federation showed shockingly poor judgment, approving official language from U.S. soccer, claiming that the job of a men's national team player requires a higher level of skill and ability than the job of a women's national team player. That is the language of Twitter trolls who think how women's players would perform against men's players actually matters when it is quite obviously an apples to oranges comparison of no value at all. The language of Twitter trolls should never be the language of U.S. soccer and Cordero should leave his post now since he does not appear to understand that. And he went on uh, to, to, to write even more um, about, you know, the the strategy, Carlos's decisions, and and he went on to say this, Cordero should resign not just for the Federation's legal strategy, however, but because it's only the latest example of his poor judgment and performance since he took over the Federation in 2018. Just last Saturday night, Cordero decided to release a public statement challenging the U.S. Women's National Team on the court case, and he was deservedly criticized by several players for doing it the night before an important game against Spain. Um, and so he, he just he's going through and just um, really calling some things out, more you know, media pressure, which is is coming on the heels of of seeing Deloitte and Buzz, Budweiser, Visa, um, you know, speak up and other sponsors, Coca Cola yesterday, mm-hmm. making it known. Um, you know, Hope Hope Solo uh, sent a tweet out that she was reading something uh, while sipping her her uh, <laughs> uh, Coke, and I sent her a picture of a Coke Zero that I, I was drinking at the time. Um, you know, having a nice laugh at the moment. But I mean, it it is. It's one of those things where we're starting to see around the country at all levels the pressure and intensity build uh, and to me for the first time build to a place where it should have been years ago in other countries who who live and bleed and die the sport of soccer the sport of football if you don't make a world cup there's so much pressure and intensity that that board members resign or presidents resign uh, you know when, when you have failings in programs you'll see resignations you'll see the pressure so uh, you know exactly it so much from the public, from media, from sponsors, you know, that changes happen here in the States. It, it, we've almost had uh, so much insularity at the board mm. level that they have really felt like they're above it all, that they can't be challenged, that they can't be held accountable. They can do whatever they want. And and I, I told someone the other day, it, it really feels like a board gone rogue. And, and when I sat in this year's AGM, uh, 
uh, I've sat in the last three AGMs, the presidential election in 2018. There was a lot of, you know, angst and, and, and frustration, but also a lot of, you know, desire to vote and change. And we saw the actual raw votes for reform and change win the day. But because the votes were weighted the way they were, they didn't win. Um, and, and, and that but that was encouraging to see that that, OK, there were people within the Federation that really wanted to see things change and improve and reform and work better. Last year's AGM in 2019 in, in Arizona, it was it was a different feeling. There wasn't as much angst and uprage. They had kind of resolved to the fact that the board could kind of get away with whatever they wanted to get away with. But the level of frustration was even higher. It was festering. Uh, it would be a word I would mm. use to describe this year's AGM. That festering went into all out like we're going to challenge you from the floor of the AGM and they had to call in a parliamentarian to try to get through uh, one one of the topics because there were people that w- refused to to uh, yield in terms of holding Carlos accountable to things he had said to them and and yet hadn't acted on and mm-hmm. and others you know that that really felt uh, the federation was heading in the wrong direction and were starting. Starting to, to speak it out loud from the floor. Uh, you had an absurd comment about the U.S. women's national team from the floor, and yet so many, including Heather O'Reilly, stood up and said, "Look, this is completely crazy and and and, and lunacy. Like, the, we are proud of our U.S. women's national team." So, I mean, like people within the the federation in the in the membership in the AGMs really started speaking their minds, but we were still not at a level where we are right now today in the Mm -hmm. last 24 hours where the sponsors and the media are finally putting enough pressure to where heads could roll. They haven't rolled yet, but heads could roll. uh, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, reading the comments from Grant wall, it's hard to argue his point uh, against him that Carlos should not resign. I mean, when you, when you, when you look at it in context of the strategies, the decisions, the number of lawsuits that have occurred under, under Carlos Cordero since 2018, the continual habit and and repeating of bad decisions uh in terms of timing of releases and questions of things and and then and the this legal strategy that this this wasn't like 48 hours ago this happened this had been ongoing for months we just found out about it uh in the last few days officially and now everybody's going crazy um, in, in, a, in a good way. I'm, and I'm not saying like they're going crazy in a bad way. I'm saying like that the, the pressure is building and building and building in a way that, that it needs to build if we are going to really be a serious uh, soccer country. Uh, looking at everything where we are and everything that's going on and, and talking to, to others in the game, what are you hoping to see uh, going forward with the pressure that's being exerted uh, from these sponsors and and the media pressure that's starting to rise? What are you hoping to see uh, over the next few days, weeks, months, uh, the Federation decides to do or, or is forced to do in order to really start to try to repair the, the things that they broke? 
Yeah. Um, you know, this repairing is a long road, but it's, um, I feel like, I feel like we have reached an hour at right now, a tipping point. And, um, I mean, we know that change leadership is hard. Um, we know that this is not going to, uh, like I've said a couple of times, kind of be fixed overnight. But I think what we need right now is we need the mainstream media to continue to, to, be talking more about these topics. There have been some good um, articles in the last uh, few days, a couple of days about these topics in, you know, USA Today with, through CNN. Like we're starting to see it being more mainstream. I hadn't seen Grant's article. Um, that was really exciting just to, for me to listen to you reading those quotes from it. Um, I think we need, along with, with mainstream media speaking up, we need more information. As a public, we need to understand um, how these decisions were made, why they were made um, in terms of legal strategy. We need to understand and know if the board was open, was knew, knew about this, if these were open conversations that had happened. I, I would like to hear from, um, I would like more information about that. Um, we just need consistent transparency. And I said earlier, Daniel, like this lack of trust, this is, this is, these are not new feelings that I, that many of us are having, they're just more pronounced, and they're they're more for me. Like uh, I feel like there's more of a rallying cry around um, around us saying, "Please let us be a part of this federation in a way that we can support the positive growth of the game in the United States." We do want to make soccer the preeminent sport in the United States, and we want leadership that we can believe in, that we can follow, that we can trust, that we that we know has our best interests, that has the best interest of all players in the United States um, and, and, you know, people that are connected to the game in mind. And um, I think the continued pressure from sponsors will go a long way in that direction because we all know that the money really does speak. Money really does speak. And, and looking at where we are with um, the way the setup is of the Federation, um, what are your thoughts on the IOC or Congress and public hearings? I know that there's been rumblings. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. had, I've had I've had some conversations with members of Congress about this case uh, off the air, um, in in talking with them and hearing from them their thoughts on this whole situation. What are your thoughts on hearings and really getting to the bottom of how we got here and, and, and continuing to, to ramp up the pressure on the Federation to do the right thing? Yeah, I haven't put a lot of thought into that, but I, I think that that sort of speaks to what I was just saying. It's like, we need information. We need transparency. We need to be talking. We, we need to know how this is all played out. So if the path to that, and you would know better than I, if the path to that is having, you know, congressional hearings um, that I know the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, you know, has the ability to put in place, like then, then yes, let's do that. But I, I don't, I feel like, um, for me and my skin in the game and where I'm, you know, probably coming to this conversation is where a lot of people are coming to this conversation. Um, it's that I, I don't really have enough information about exactly how this needs to play out, but um, I feel like, um, you know, that the possibility for change is right around the corner. And I just want to keep pushing for that. Um, 
but as for like congressional, um, you know, happenings, it's not something that I really understand enough about. When you brought up a moment ago, the, the fact of, you know, not knowing where the decisions uh, came from. Uh, Chris Kessel uh, mm-hmm. w- was released a, a couple of tweets last night um, that kind of point to this. He said, nobody knows who is making decisions within the U.S. Soccer Federation from the U.S. Women's National Team case strategy to the Court of Arbitration sport mm-hmm. strategy, the hiring of anti-U.S. Women's National Team lobbyists, uh, the positioning of the Federation concerning training compensation and solidarity payments nobody knows who decided the the federation's position we really need to know who is making these decisions who is pulling the strings Mm -hmm. these board decisions need to be in the open if they are indeed board decisions we need to know who said yes and who said no um that seems to, to kind of echo a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. what you're saying, which is Absolutely. we we need to have an understanding of where people stand. And um, in this moment, with this pressure, um, you know, to me, I look at the board and knowing that there are women on this board, especially some who are independent directors, uh, to me now seems as good a time as ever for some of these uh, women, especially the independent directors, to stand up and say, look, this is unacceptable. Uh, and, and to me, at least bring some things to light or, or make some statements themselves uh, as to, to what's going on and how is it happening. Because if I was in their shoes in terms of being in that position, I would be, you know, if I was not included in these decisions and didn't know about them um, and and the board was or or some on the board, uh, this board gone rogue, as as I talked about before, were saying some things, I would be irate and demand to know and demand change. And if it wasn't coming and and they refused to do the right thing, I I personally, I, I feel like I would be someone who would just be like, okay, I'm done. I resign. And here's I would, why I resign. You know, like I, I couldn't handle it. I would hope the men on the board do that as well. Like, I mean, this isn't just about the women standing up, which is so refreshing right Agreed. now is that like, this isn't, this isn't, um, the, the, this is, this is a issue for all of, American soccer fans that care about the game to really be, you know, to really have more information about. And the the men on the board need to stand up as well. This is just not good leadership. And we haven't had good leadership for way too long. And it's time for that to change. And, um, you know, I'm friends with some people on the board. And these are conversations that I have not had with them. And um, I haven't broached these subjects because, you know, I appreciate their privacy and don't want to push too hard. But I do know I would imagine that everyone on the board is starting to feel a lot of pressure and they should because we're trusting them. We're trusting them to lead and they need to lead. Um, they need to lead with, um, you know, in, in the right way that, that that's supporting all of us. And um, and so I do hope that that they are feeling that pressure today. It is, uh, it is, it is, uh, we, we wake up today, we woke up yesterday to, 
to me, a, a different world in uh, in American soccer. Uh, it was one that uh, I was aware of. Uh, mm-hmm. I've heard behind the scenes. You felt it behind the scenes, but n- nothing as as forthcoming and demonstrative and public mm-hmm. as what we've seen this week uh, that the, they have fully and, and when I'm using the word they I'm referring to the the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors because until we know names whether that whether it was one or two or three people on the board that were handling this and the rest of the board didn't know which even in yeah. that even, even in that standpoint all of these things are leadership problems even in that standpoint that as a board member, that's a problem. You should know, um, and and you and you and you, you should have been trying to find out if you didn't know. Uh, I, I think that every member of the board is is culpable on some level. It may be that some more than others, but until we know names and who is responsible for what. Um, we have to look at the entire board. They're they're all attached to this, and um, and and the fact that they are, you know, part of this, uh, you know, sexism and misogyny and uh, and and just being overt in their actions of how they've gone about legal strategies, um, not just with this case with the U.S. Women's National Team, but in other cases, the way they've handled themselves uh, in, in, in the, the actions that they've taken. And, and we've seen this pattern repeat yet again here and has shown itself in a different way with, with these disparaging comments, terrible comments. We can't condemn them enough. Um, to see this to to really finally come to light um, in in a in a way that the public now sees what so many have felt and seen in the past um, is mm-hmm. is as bad as it is for these young girls who showed up at training last night going like why is the federation not think we're good enough why does the federation think that that boys are better than girls why does the federation not feel like we have value despite all of that what my hope is is that these ugly and nasty comments and legal strategy and actions of this board get exposed in the light and we finally start to see the pressure reach a place where where positive leadership change and reform can take hold uh, because it's necessary it's been necessary for a very long time and it needs to happen in order for us to to really get this this country going in the right direction when it comes to our our federation and the game itself uh do you have any last thoughts before uh before we let you go today um just in where we are and in what you know you're hoping to see over the next you know few days weeks and months um first really well said your comments just then um i i do feel like um you know the the call for for leadership reform is loud and clear right now, and we do need um, need all of that to come to to play out. Um, uh, I guess my last comments is we need transparency about what's happening in the boardroom. We need more mainstream media coverage about these topics. We need more information um, as a as a soccer as a soccer community about 
um, what next steps can be and should be. And, and I love the fact that these conversations are happening, that Grant's pushing out that article, more of that conversation needs to be had. And we need people to stand up and try to find words and speak about these issues and, um, and continue to demand change um, through our federation. I completely agree. And, you know, it, looking at where we are, because we don't have transparency yet on these decisions in the board, um, you know, I hope that that some board members, male and female, um, in, in they know who they are, that we all know who they are, uh, we, we know who's on the board, begin to speak up and speak out uh, because it's this is a leadership problem. It is a mm-hmm. it is only going to be solved through better leaders and better leadership. And, you know, quite frankly, um, the silence from the board is deafening. And the longer that they are silent, the more the calls for not just Carlos Cordero, but board members themselves to resign is going to get louder. And and it should. This should mm-hmm. not be acceptable in any way, shape, form or fashion. And board members should be speaking up as well, um, even if they can't provide all the clarity that we might want. Uh, I do think a, a public record of our board members uh, on these issues uh, or at least some of their thoughts is warranted. And I would hope that we would see that from from all of them uh, in the days, weeks, and months uh, ahead. So, Sky, thank th- thank you for joining the show, for hopping on, hopping on this morning, um, and and uh, you know sharing your thoughts. Um, and for those watching or listening, it, you brought up a point in, in the very beginning of, uh, about fear and fear of retribution. Mm-hmm. And we, and we talked about that. Thank you. I just want to say to you and to the others who are speaking up, thank you for being brave because it is not always the easiest thing to do to speak up against this federation. Even, even if it's warranted, even if it's not personal and it's just a critique or saying we need to do better in this, or we, I, I feel like we need to see this even, even what, what you and I, might look as you know benign comments of just hey i want to see this get better uh there's always been this kind of underlying fear of retribution Mm -hmm. of limiting your access or or limiting your advancement within the game from so many um because it's happened to them before and so for you to speak up today in 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 to 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 say the things that you said uh, i just want to thank you for being brave and speaking up and coming on the show today absolutely thanks daniel for having me i appreciate it always that is sky eddie bruce thank you to her for joining the show and for coming on the show here at the top of the hour um our show is normally about an hour long each and every day uh but today we're going to run a little bit longer uh because yesterday we uh we were able to catch up with anthony DeChico and spend some time talking with him and this this uh conversation we had with anthony yesterday 
was a conversation that uh, you know took place um, before the U.S. Women's National Team match last night. It took place before the the public apology from Carlos Cordero, before Grant Wall's call for for Carlos Cordero's resignation. So you know we don't get into those subjects, but we we did get into um, you know some of the other things that had come to light, some of the 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 comments uh, from. Uh, uh, from from the the legal strategy side and the lack of leadership side, there's a lot of really good uh, information and content here that I want to share with you coming up after the break. But I just want to kind of give you a heads up that that interview we did yesterday um, uh, before all of that came out, we were going to air it today. And, and in light of everything that that happened last night, uh, some of those topics that I know we would have gotten into with Anthony. Uh, we don't discuss and and so but there is a lot of great stuff coming up here in just a minute after the break uh, we are going to run an extended show today uh, to to cover this because this is such a big big moment in American soccer it is a big day in American soccer um, we have not seen uh, this level of uh, from from a from a governmental standpoint, from a public standpoint, from a sponsor standpoint, from a media standpoint, from federation member standpoint, we have not seen this concerted of a level of pressure on the federation uh, in my lifetime. And it is it is appropriate, and and I actually think it should be higher. I think it should be more. And I think that uh, you know. Our show today is dedicated to to this topic today of really looking at where we are and where where we need to go and 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 why these issues um, which have been plaguing the federation keep happening. They are leadership issues, plain and simple. And like it or not, if you're sitting in the top job, you're accountable. Leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary and we're accountable no matter where we are in leadership, uh, whether whether it's being the leading leader of a team, a leader of a club, or in this case, a leader of a federation. And, uh, and I second Grant Wall's call for Carlos Cordero's resignation. Uh, I think it is it is obvious to see that the leadership is lacking uh, so much that uh, I see no way forward for him to even finish his term. He should step down immediately, and I think the board, if they are not willing to speak up and speak out, should also begin offering resignations. And I would hope that the the membership of the federation begin to speak up and speak out uh, on this as well. It, enough is enough it has to change and uh, and and it, it, it cannot go on any longer um, so I just want to I just wanted to kind of let you know that we are going to run an extended show today and we will be running a, an interview we did yesterday with Anthony DeChico that gets into all of this stuff we look into some of the media strategy uh, we look in into the Federation itself and some of the decisions and where things are um, and and so it's a really really great conversation about uh, you know more on the state of the women's game content that I think you're going to really enjoy and that's coming up just 
after the break. Um, and uh, the the sponsor for for this hour of the show today, it's normally the first hour. The the, the sponsor for for this hour of the show today is Ductic Brand, D U K T I G Brand.com. Now, this is a company that makes really cool products. But you know one of the things that's also cool about this company? That, that they don't look at themselves as inferior because the two ladies that founded this company continue to be brave and bold and do incredible things. They are the founders of ductickbrand.com. And, uh, in, 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 I would encourage you today, uh, to, to go to ductickbrand.com, place an order, get you a journal, get you a notebook, get you, uh, you know, some apparel, but uh, go to Ductic Brand today and, um, you know, place an order and use this promo code DW Show to get 10% off of your order. DW Show. And that'll get you 10% off of your order at DuckTickBrand.com. We'll be right back after this message from Ductic Brand with our interview of Anthony DeChico. feedback etc and we enjoy connecting uh with guests like our next guest anthony chico anthony welcome to the show. Uh, welcome back to the show how are you thanks for having me daniel doing well so um wanted uh, to bring you on to kind of talk a little bit about uh, some of the things swirling around in women's soccer here in the states uh, but also some of the uh, effects on the women's game around the world we we know that the women's national team is the standard bearer they are the gold standard that everyone in the world 
aspires to to become the the quality level of our women's national team, the success of our women's national team, etc. So this this conversation uh, about the women's national team uh, today is really not just in light of what's going on in our borders, inside of our borders, but also the effects that this has on the rest of the world. And um, all eyes on the world, uh, on, on our U.S. women's national team from around the world uh, right now, especially because uh News came out this week uh, uh, from this case, the the equal pay, equal treatment case from the U.S. Women's National Team, and uh, and prior to that, a letter from President Carlos Cordero, who uh, to me made a, some very disingenuous statements about uh, the the offers U.S. Soccer's made when those when he knows full well those offers uh, include uh, you know equal pay as it relates to the men's national team back in 2011. Um, you know, I don't know if you read everything that came out, uh, like BuzzFeed, uh, about where, you know, some of the questions, us soccer, the line of questioning they've taken in the uh, court case. Uh, but to me it was, it was very appalling. Um, what, what is your take on some of the news that you've seen this week in regards to, uh, the letter from the, from President Carlos Cordero, as well as uh, some of the comments that have come out of uh, the the questioning of Carly Lloyd and others uh, in relation to the case. Well, it, it is uh, a fascinating look that we're getting behind the curtain here, right? As these uh, discovery documents and filings are are being made public, uh, we're getting uh, insight into the backroom dealings and the culture of the organization in a way that has been, uh, for the most part, pretty rare. Uh, Caitlin Murray did a fantastic job taking everybody through the the history of the women's national team, both on the field, but especially off the field, and their CBA negotiations through the years in her book last year. But for the most part, it has not been uh, over public to the degree that we're seeing at the moment. And the first thing that that I'll say is that it is incredibly disappointing, but not surprising to uh, see the the tactics and the approach that the Federation and their outside counsel have taken. The second thing that is so uh, awesome is you get a real sense and an opportunity to see not only the uh, intelligence of the women who are involved in the women's national team program, uh, but also their understanding of just how significant this is, not only for themselves, not only in, uh, in this current moment, but for women's national team programs and for women on a global scale. Uh, and the impact that this will have that is not dramatically different from the way we view or see uh, the 99ers in that they had to, uh, you know, they had to light this fire in the first place. They had to go on strike prior to the Olympics in 96 in order to force the Federation's hand and get to the point where these these subsequent generations of players have been able to 
carry that torch with the with the flame that they had initially lit um so it's it's fascinating it's disappointing it's discouraging it is more evidence than i think we could have ever uh imagined seeing that ultimately uh if you bet against the u.s women's national team players you're an idiot Right. I mean, they 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 are making their case not only legally, but they're making their case in the in the court of public opinion. And uh, and the Federation seems to be content to dig their own grave in uh, in this uh, in this scenario. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned this the other day on the show that uh, about a month ago I was in Nashville for the U.S. Soccer AGM and uh, sat in uh, the board meeting there, and they were kind of giving. Um, it was you know it was your board meeting that you would typically have at an annual general meeting when you know everyone's going to be in there watching. And so everybody was given their little, you know, year in review and blah, blah, The dog and pony show. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there wasn't much there. And then we got to, um, uh, you know, a couple moments. Uh, one was, uh, the the Don Garber, I'm going to make a show of recusing myself whenever one of the bylaws came up for discussion for the board that had to do with the professional league standards. And uh, I was sitting directly across from Don Garber. Uh, he looks up. I'm right behind Sunil. And he sees me. And to my right was Chris Kessel. And as soon as he saw who was sitting behind Sunil, and Sunil was the one who had brought up the, uh, the, the discussion about the bylaws, in the and the subsequent attached policy, uh, Don, Don makes a show of you know, hey, I, I, I've got to recuse myself, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and and it was quite funny, and and uh, again, dog and pony show. He, he and and uh, Carlos Bocanegra and as well as Alec Papadakis all end up leaving the boardroom for for I don't know two minutes, and then uh, came back in, and then later in the meeting when they were giving some other updates um lydia watke who's the chief legal uh officer for the federation gave an update on the quarter of arbitration and sport case which it had recently been announced right before this agm that uh u.s soccer had uh had won their case um based off of you know they didn't say this but they won their case based off of um Chuck Blazer, the notorious, um, you know, uh, criminal, I guess, uh, before he passed away that the FBI had caught on all sorts of, you know, money laundering and tax evasion stuff. Um, Chuck Blazer had, had worked to secure major league soccer, a, um, an exception to uh, article nine. And even though it wasn't written into the rule, it was written into their minutes in 2007 in a FIFA meeting. And therefore they were able to kind of hang their hat on this exception that Chuck Blazer had secured for them. And um, anyway, she was celebrating like this happy dance uh, basically about how they had won the case and was looking forward to winning the rest of these cases. And, and, was just all giddy about this and uh, I, I talked to several people afterwards just because it was an odd moment now the rest of the board wasn't jumping around like that but I mean you know she was just really happy about winning and I I said to a couple of people what it said to me was not really whether she was for or against 
you know, the the Article 9, the, the Court of Arbitration in Sport, Promotion Relegation, I don't really even think she cares or knows or whatever. Like, I, I never got that impression that the, the substance really even mattered to her. What what it came across to me is a, a lawyer being competitive, wanting to, to win for her client, uh, do her job and 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 be seen as you know someone who who got the job done uh, a win at all cost i you know i won the case for you basically so when i saw the stuff come out this week on the women's national team case in the line of questioning that was taken the letter that came from uh, carlos uh about you know they're really uh, poor efforts on posturing and winning over public support here. Um, you know, I, I, I just kind of thought back to that moment of, of how she acted in that moment and in terms of kind of being so wrapped up in winning. And I, I just think the Federation not, you know, I am by no means, uh, arguing with you at all about the culture and, and it being exposed it, it has absolutely been a problem i've i've heard of countless conversations behind the scenes um of, of this kind of uh philosophy and mentality and worldview within the federation for quite some time so it's not shocking at all to me as well that it's being exposed now and, and everyone's getting to see it. But at the same time, what I am surprised by is that the Federation has never kind of looked themselves in the mirror and go, do we want to try to win this at all costs? Because in the end, it could cost us much more than just, you know, an arbitrary court ruling victory. I mean, this could be something that, um, hurts us even more uh, down the road in, in other ways. And the fact that they've just kind of gone, you know, headstrong into the wind on this thing, is just, it's a head scratcher for me uh, why you would do that. Um, you know, and, and I, I look at uh, the, the disingenuousness of, of the Federation stance on, you know, their quote unquote good faith negotiation negotiations with the women's national team and at the same time um you know keeping in mind that at this agm there was probably 20 percent, 25 percent of the crowd who who clapped and celebrated whenever a gentleman stood up and and disparaged the women's national team at the AGM and how they celebrated in the World Cup and 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 very much the the same kind of you know I would call it this old school chauvinist mentality that women's sports are lesser than men's sports mentality um, and 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 his comment got celebrated and then others. Riley and 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 countless others stood up in in the women's national team defense. So it's not just at the board level within the federation. There are there are members throughout the federation that share these same views that the women's national team and women's programs are you know kind of second class or second rate, and um, and and the men's national team is you know the holy grail yet. 
when you look at the accomplishments on the field and you look at the standard bearer status of the two programs, there's only one that the rest of the world is looking at in awe and in admiration. And, and that's our women's program, as we know, and, not our men's. And disdain. And disdain. They love to, the rest of the world loves to hate our women's national team program. The, you, you bring up a whole lot of good points in that, in that, uh, um, you know, in that, in that section there. The, the first thing I'll say is that the accomplishments on the field matter. And that has been what, what gives these women the platform to uh, elevate their cause and, and elevate the cause of, of uh, you know, equality in, in broader terms. But it shouldn't matter, right? It sh- that, that is not what this is about. It shouldn't matter that our men's national team didn't qualify in 2018. And it shouldn't matter that our women are two-time defending World Cup champions. Th- this really boils down to something that kindergartners understand, which is right and wrong. And the Federation's approach to this and a whole host of, of, of uh, topics has just been plain wrong. It's just wrong, you know, and, and the, the, the residual effect of being in the wrong so many times is, is relevant now because we're seeing it, right? Dan is no longer the CEO. Jay is no longer, Jay Burhalter is no longer there. Sunil is no longer the president. But what persists is the culture. What persists is the, the failures of leadership. And I think it's a really important point that you bring up that it's not just coming out of Chicago. It's failures of leadership across the spectrum of these member organizations that are all represented in the structure of the federation. And it's wrong. It's wrong to have two division one team, uh, division one leagues in the, in the pro council that don't have equal voting rights. That's wrong. It's wrong that after years and years and millions of dollars in support of major league soccer, that when the NWSL makes a request for $7 million in support to basically set off on their own after being under the umbrella of U.S. soccer for these past number of years, that U.S. soccer counters by saying, well, we're not going to do that, but we'll run the league for another year. That's wrong. It's it's wrong. And it's a, you know, to give you a, a perspective of how little that was, one of the things that we learned during the AGM in the book of reports is that we spent more than $9 million as a federation last year in outside legal fees. And now that's not just for the equal pay, but the NWSL, the, the preeminent women's professional league in the world. And yes, the, the, the uh, English league, the FAWSL is growing stronger. But at this moment, the NWSL is the best women's professional league in the world. And we, we can't find $7 million to ensure that that future is, uh, is developed and well-funded and we're the, the poster, uh, you know, the, the standard bearers, the, the poster girls for uh, young women and young girls around the world who want to be prof- professional players. It's just not right. And, and ultimately, this is it, – it's bigger than Lydia. It's bigger than Sunil. It's bigger than, than Carlos. It's about us having this self 
realization moment where we look at where we are and we look at where we want to go and where we can be. And then we figure out how to get there. And we're that that's not what any of this has yielded, right? All this has yielded is deeply, deeply entrenched, uh, you know, uh, uh, views being rehashed and resurfaced resurfaced and now we're what we're seeing in in these filings is a major disconnect between the rhetoric right and the actions because any member of senior leadership at u.s soccer who is willing to stand by these legal arguments that are at the at the core sexist and misogynistic and any board member who's willing to uh, abide by this advice from the uh, from the senior leadership and be uh, willing to endorse it, advance it, fund it. This is this is where the, the real battle for for our future lies. And it's not just about Chicago. It's about us changing leadership throughout soccer at every level until we get to a point where we are prepared to fulfill the mission statement, where we're prepared to develop uh, an equal future for all players, coaches, referees, supporters in the country, regardless of whether you're a man, woman, boy, girl, uh, transgender, uh, from a diverse background. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter. It's about creating equality of opportunity. And we are, very much not on that path at the moment. We're certainly not. And, uh, and also one, one thing I think that people miss, and I've seen this brought up during, uh, the discussions, uh, on social media about this case specifically is they'll talk about the fact that, you know, and, and I've, I've heard this directly from members of, of the Federation as, as well as the Federation staff, uh, when I've had some, you know, kind of off the record conversations with, with some of them and they've used this same line of thinking. And I, I just want to highlight something that that you mentioned and and provide some clarity to the audience uh, surrounding this when it comes to the finance piece. The women's national team players that play in the NWSL are paid uh, a higher salary than the average NWSL player, and the federation has subsidized that salary. That part is true. However, whenever making that argument, and I've heard so many do this. They'll say, well, we're already paying the, the female players, the women's national team players, higher salary than the men's national team players. Let's back up for a moment, a moment and remember that Major League Soccer for nearly 20 years has been subsidized by the Federation. Where do you think the money to pay for the likes of uh, of, of uh, Michael Bradley uh, and, and uh, Zardes and Altidore and others who have played in the, the, the U.S. men's national team program, where do you think that excess money or at least part of that excess money has come from? Um, for Major League Soccer to try to bring home that, that campaign they started several years ago about bringing home U.S. men's national team stars and paying them, you know, DP money well above the the salaries of the average MLS player. Uh, I'm not saying all of the money 
aimed directly from the Federation, but to deny that the Federation hasn't been subsidizing through their Soccer United marketing deal, Major League Soccer for nearly 20 years, and and using this line of, of argument about the women's players getting you know more guaranteed money is a is another it's like carlos's letter the other day where he said well we've we've made a, a good faith negotiation of equal pay to the men's uh, yeah back in 2011 i mean th- that deal is expired and the the men's are currently negotiating a different deal Let, let's talk apples to apples here and in the same way when it comes to the finance piece we need to we need to make these acknowledgments and and link things up because the the major league soccer soccer united marketing u.s soccer federation kind of you know circular arrangement here of money going back and forth and around through those organizations and then to sit over here and say that the NWSL and these women's national team players have received preferential treatment over the men's that we're going over and above it, it, it's still that money is still a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of money that has been subsidized to Major League Soccer over the years so your point of asking for seven million dollars and going out on their own and and and, and basically launching independent of the federation and federation management is is you know still to me small potatoes compared to what the federation has done and continues to do with soccer united marketing and and thus major league soccer well you know one of the things you learn from watching organizations like this over a whole whole lot of years and pretty much any any organization any government or entity is your priorities are in the budget right three years ago we were looking at a 150 million 140 million dollar surplus at at the federation so we have watched as that money has been spent some in some ways that i agree with in some ways i disagree with but what what it reveals is the priorities Right. What it reveals is the commitments that the people who are in leadership positions are making towards what the future of the organization uh, looks like. Now, some of some of those, like I say, I I, I don't disagree with having a a Kate Mark in as the women's national team program general manager, I think, is an investment. I think she's made some good decisions. I think Vladko was the right hire. I don't think that we, we need to be in a point where uh, where we take on the tact that the Federation has of scorching the earth. To me, and, and I know other people disagree with me on this, to me, the Federation is not beyond repair. To me, the opportunity that this entire situation represents is to unravel the ball of yarn that you're describing. And Soccer United Marketing came along at a time where its initiative was not something that was inherently bad or evil. What is problematic and has been problematic has been the inherent conflict of interest that has existed for, as you say, I think some came along in 2002, so 18 years ago, almost two decades ago, which allowed for leadership in the Federation and leadership in uh, Soccer United Marketing, Major League Soccer, to essentially renew the deal without scrutiny 
time and time again, right? And the the substantial piece of that relates to the women's national team players and the NWSL is that the women's national team media rights are bundled in with the men's national team media rights and all other U.S. soccer properties. And so the argument that the women are not generating as much revenue, which has been demonstrated as false, or the argument that the women's national team isn't worthy of getting paid what they're uh, what they're being paid or, or should be paid is also demonstrably false because as much as we're talking about expenditures, to me, this is as much a case of failing to actualize revenue and failing to actualize the true potential of the property that U.S. soccer controls in the women's national team program. This is a unique team and program that exists in a uh, it's in a different stratosphere than anything else that exists in this country or anywhere else in the world for the most part. Now, that's not to say it's bigger than, you know, Barcelona, right? That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the opportunity to, to take advantage of the property and maximize revenue. And so my criticism of Jay Burhalter, who left the Federation last month, was not personal. It's not a, a personal attack for me on Jay. What it is was a failure on his part to realize the true earning potential of what the women's national team program and the women's national team players bring to the table. And this is now being demonstrated because in this last CBA negotiation, the women's national team players took back their image and likeness rights, which the federation had failed to uh, utilize pro properly. And now they're doing deals with fanatics and, and uh, breaking tea company and all kinds of other, uh, other organizations that are now allowing them to turn that into, uh, into money. So, what we're really talking about here is unraveling a ball of yarn that has been running down a mountain, collecting steam for a very long time and getting to a point where we are all working and paddling in the same direction. And what the Federation's approach to this has been has has simply made that outcome that much harder. It, it's it's not impossible, but it is very very easy to see that the respect that the Federation has for the women's national team players for our program uh, has, has been, uh, you know, false, false rhetoric, false, uh, you know, false bravado uh, that allows them to stand up and say, Hey, listen, we're still winning, right? We're still winning. We're still the best in the world. We've invested more money than any other women's national team program in the world. And all of that may be true, but this is not just about money. It's about respect. It's about doing what's right. And the timing of Carlos's letter bothers me as much or more than anything that that's in there. The idea of releasing that letter on Saturday night before the women play on Sunday, which happens to be International Women's Day, immediately before all of these court filings become public, is it, it's uh, it's just it's the reveal, right? The mask is off, and we can see through 
everything that they've tried to uh, prevent us from seeing. And it's not surprising, but it is thoroughly, thoroughly disappointing. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I, I'm, I agree with you about the timing of the release of the letter. Um, it, what goes through your head? You know, I'm just, I, I come at this from like, I want to, if I was president of the Federation, I would be, how can I rally the troops? How can I get the country on board? How can we, how can we be, you know, one country uh, behind our national teams and support? I'm not thinking about the night before uh, yeah, what, a match. One nation, one team. Right. It rings a little bit hollow when you're, when you, when this is the, the, the stance that you're taking, right? For, for sure. And, and to your point about like, you know, where, you know, where the money is, where the viewers are, you know, you hear these kind of uh, token arguments thrown out uh, because it's it, maybe in the past uh, that was the case. Uh, but here in the recent future, uh, especially with all of the success the, the women's national team have had in the, in the last five, six years, um, you know, when you look at where things are in terms of viewership. For example, uh, Paul Kennedy tweeted uh, this out the other day. First uh, two U.S. Women's National Team games in the She Believes Cup have averaged 522,000, which was the Spain game on ESPN, and 387,000, the England game on ESPN2. They rank one in two among viewers of any men's national team or women's national team game on U.S. English language TV since July of 2019. I mean, we see anecdotal evidence uh, over and over accumulate enough to the point to where any of these arguments about uh, revenues, arguments about, uh, you know, excitement, viewership, attendance, um, you know, turn on a men's national team match, turn on a women's national team match. I'm pretty sure you're going to see more butts and seats at a women's game than a men's game. And there's more people watching on TV. Um, I mean, any well, metric sold, we're using, it's not out, adding up. The women sold out uh, Red Bull Arena uh, for the England game on, on Sunday. They are at standing room only tickets remaining for the uh, the game. Uh, sorry, for that was the Japan game. They're at standing room only tickets for the game in Frisco uh, coming up this week uh, on, a, on a weeknight in the middle of, uh, you know, the, uh, global health scare that, that everybody's obviously aware of. So it, it is, it is fascinating. And by the way, that, that July game that, uh, Paul is referencing was the world cup final, which we won. Right. And was watched by millions of people and was the beginning of a celebration that, you know, led to hundreds of thousands of people lining the streets of New York. I mean, the, the popularity of the women's national team players and the program and the team uh, can't be disputed anymore. There's no question about their standing in the sports landscape. Um, what's fascinating about them, going back to your first question, is that they're able to do this while fighting their own federation, while, you know, while playing in the World Cup, they're shadow boxing the president, right? I mean, they are a force and they're our force. They are, they are what we should be rallying around. And I was thrilled with the men's national team players association coming out in support of them. 
them uh, earlier this year, and their statement was uh, was remarkable. If any any of your listeners haven't uh, viewers haven't haven't had a chance to see it, it's definitely worth going back and and digging that up. But also, in the past twenty four hours, the only uh, current or former men's national team player. That I've seen take a strong stand uh, in defense of the players was uh, Herc Gomez, who's always um, willing and and uh, you know always talking about these things, and is one one of those who I genuinely believe is is typically on the right side of of uh, of these issues. But the the viewership is fascinating too because you also have a motivated public. Those numbers are impressive, but as impressive to me was. CONCACAF, who controlled the media rights for the qualifying tournament in February, didn't announce the TV deal until 24 hours before the initial game. And 300,000 people tuned in on FS2, on Fox Sports 2, to watch the opening game, which isn't necessarily the easiest channel. It's not you know, a channel that everybody has. And you're still seeing people uh, go out of their way because they care. And, and that's against weaker opponents, too. But they care. They care deeply about this team. What we're talking about, when I say we're talking about respect, it is, it's true investment in the future of the women's game in terms of creating a buzz and marketing the game effectively, efficiently, and professionally. And, uh, you know, that's at the, at the core of this as well. If you want to actualize revenue, you have to take the same position with regards to the potential that the women's team has as you do for any other men's professional sport. And I'm not even willing to compare them to the men's national team because the men's national team, as we know, has been in disarray. We know that attendance has been plummeting right now. They're at a relevance level that I feel like I haven't seen since before the 94 world cup. And that includes the debacle they had in France in 98. So, I I subscribe at some level to Julie Foudy's, uh, you know, during the She Believes broadcast. She was talking about the men's program and the women's program coming together so that when the men are having a bad year, the women carry some of the weight. And when the women have a downturn, like we did in the, in the uh, 2000s, the men's team carries the weight. I, I think that there is... There is substantially more power in us coming together and working together to negotiate what is a truly fair pot, you know, fair percentage of what the revenues look like. And there, there's roadmaps for this. But this is also about the Federation leveraging their power and position in the, in the game to ensure that we're changing the broader sports landscape and the sports culture and the the number that uh you know will never not blow my mind is that only four percent of sports media coverage is dedicated to women's sports and and you know it comes back to that's simply not right it's simply not right you know just today uh CBS and the NWSL announced a deal, a multi-year deal for uh, NWSL broadcast. And a lot of people are celebrating the deal. And CBS uh, has recently acquired the Champions League rights uh, following one more season on uh, Turner and, and uh, Bleacher Report. So CBS is getting into the game. What, what bothers me is that 
CBS is only planning to broadcast two games on their over-the-air channel. The opening game of the season and the championship game, the last game of the season. Well, this is a league that right now in their playoff structure only has three games. So the fact that you can't commit to broadcasting the entirety of those three playoff games on your your CBS station, it, it, to me, that's that's indicative of the systemic issues that this team represents the fight against. And it is, it, it's, you asked earlier about, uh, you know, how, how this works going forward. The way it works going forward is we need to develop a unifying vision. It can't just be ad hoc solutions to individual problems. It has to be a unifying vision that does fulfill the mission that U.S. soccer has on its website and uses in all its statements about growing the game to the preeminent sport in this country. That should be our shared vision, but that's not a vision that you can realize when you don't support the Women's Professional League, when you don't support the players in their efforts to be elevated and to be paid uh, you know, fairly, and certainly not when the approach that you take to them asking to be paid fairly is to go scorched earth, is to basically go back to you know, the same arguments that were used to prevent women from voting and to keep women from running for elected office. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it felt like something from a bygone era. And here we are in 2020. And this is the the legal argument that they're trying to utilize to, as you say, win at all costs. And I don't even say win at all costs, win at any costs. Right. But the, the cost that they're, they're trying to play this game at it's it's just simply too high. I I completely agree. Um, I want to kind of wrap up here with two things, and this is more of instead of a a look back uh, and a look at the present, I want to look into the future. Uh, and in two areas, uh, the, the two areas where I see major opportunities for progress and for uh, growth in terms of support, resources, publicity, etc., is media, and you brought up the CBS deal, um, you know, how, how do we uh, continue to promote and elevate um, the women's national team, the NWSL, etc., and, and, and make it a, a bigger priority and, and be able to kind of, you know, change, as, as you pointed out, you know, only 4% uh, uh, coverage across media platforms for women's sports. How do we begin to change that paradigm and can the U.S. women's national team WSL be a uh, you know a leader in that movement of change, uh, and the second point is um, within the federation. Um, the other opportunity, big opportunity I see is uh, for those members uh, in the youth council, in the adult amateur council, as well as in the athlete council, who look at everything going on and and finally say enough is enough and and really start to come together to to forge a new path forward you you use the word unity um we are the united 
States of America, and it should be the United States Soccer Federation, where we don't have a lot of unity. And I think this is an opportunity looking forward for the uh, the Athlete Council, for the uh, Adult Amateur Council, and the, the Youth Council. Uh, specifically to unite and begin to forge a new path uh, from within the federation and then on the outside on the media side continue to see media leaders uh, you know take uh, up old steps to support uh, uh, women's sports and specifically our women's national team and uh, the NWSL, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on those two areas uh, uh, in terms of looking forward. How do we how do we continue to elevate and move uh, this conversation along in a positive way to create better outcomes in the future? Uh, we have to stop. Well, first of all, the first thing I'll say is there's no silver bullet to what we're talking about here, right? There's no, there's no, you know, snapping our fingers and saying, you know, this is what it's going to be. There's no king for a day or queen for a day. It doesn't work like that. So what we're really talking about is a coalition of people who have ideas and the will of the membership to implement those ideas, right? So what it really looks like is remaking the leadership of our soccer landscape to make it look more like the membership of our soccer landscape, to make it representative of the people who do care. Because all we have to do is look at what is happening with women's football in, in Mexico to see that there are lessons to be learned from outside of our borders that we can we can take, borrow, uh, revise, implement. There are opportunities for us to uh, to do all of the things. The very first thing we have to do is at some point we have to turn the corner and stop relitigating the past, right? And we have to build a future that allows for this reality to take hold. Now, you know, a lot of people, have become very cynical in this process and I, I have a hard time blaming them but what I see is a transformational moment where for the first time in 20 years we have a opportunity for a new uh, CEO, Secretary General with Dan Flynn's departure. We've seen turnover in, in senior leadership um, and we need to see that in the elected representatives at the state uh, organizations across the country. And some of that has to be selfless. It has to be people uh, deciding that they have done, like, because I don't think people who are in these leadership positions are, are, are trying for the most part to sabotage soccer. But what they have to realize is that in your efforts to do what you've, you've been able to do, your the, the course has been run and it's time to pass the baton time to pass the baton to people who have fresh ideas and, and fresh opportunities uh, to apply pressure to media organizations. The number that's even scarier than the 4% is 0.4%, four-tenths of 1% of sponsorship dollars globally are invested in women's sports, including athlete sponsorships. 
right? So it's about applying pressure to sponsors. It's about leveraging our position. It's about developing a coalition on a national and international uh, basis that forces these companies who are spending the money just to reallocate those budget uh, resources, right? They're spending the money. You know, if we got to 10% in the next, before the next uh, Women's World Cup, if 10% of SportsCenter was women's sports, that would be progress. It's not where we should be. It's not where I want to see us, but it would be progress. You know, one of the, the things that you referenced was uh, NBCSN. NBCSN is doing more than than some organizations or uh, NBC Sports. Um, so they have the, the best soccer coverage in the country, right, with the Premier League. So one of my suggestions was take five minutes, take ten minutes, a, uh, you know, a weekend – to highlight the FAWSL, you know, to take advantage of the fact that all of the men's clubs or almost all of the men's clubs in, in England have women's clubs as well. And even better than that is to hire a full-time correspondent to talk about the stories and the, the, uh, the state of that league, because it is a developing league and there is a value to that, um, to that model where you have a men's senior team and a women's senior team. Um, but even, you know, to, to shift from soccer for a second, uh, on international women's day on Sunday, they had an all female broadcast team and an all female production team for uh, one of their hockey matches, which is great, right? We love that, but take it a step further. The step further would have been to do that and then to broadcast a double header with an NWHL match and, and highlight the women and their, uh, you know, their ability to perform at, at the peak level on the ice as well as off the ice. So this is, it's an ongoing process and we, we have work to do. And a lot of it is disheartening. When you read these, uh, court filings or some of the things that come out of, of, uh, Chicago, it can be disheartening. But cynicism is the enemy of our, of our progress. And the ability for people to coalesce behind a vision for an equal future, for a representative future, and for a future where we can celebrate the successes of our men's and women's program. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned, so I'll mention it right now, that our, our U-20 women's national team just steamrolled the region with future stars, Brie Pinto and, and Trinity Rodman and Sophia Smith, who was injured a little bit during the tournament, Claudia Dickey and goal. We have a pipeline to represent what everyone in the world wants to be. And when my father was the national team coach, when he left, he wrote a, a plan called project gold. And the objective was audacious. The objective was to win now and to win forever. And we didn't win forever. We took a downturn, but we've obviously rebounded with these two two World Cups. But the, the future can be as bright, as bright as we allow it to be. And I do maintain hope, even in uh, what are fairly dark times for the Federation, that we can we can right the ship, that we can figure this out. But uh, like I said, there is no silver bullet, and it's not about one person 
uh, it's about transforming this culture. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate your efforts to constantly highlight the things that we need to be talking about and looking at uh, in order to get there. Um, because it is, it's a demanding and, and, uh, and hard journey. But uh, if enough of us get on board, you know, sooner or later we can get there. I completely agree, and I appreciate uh, your time as well on the show, as always. Um, we, we have a long way to go, and uh, looking at where we are and looking into the future, what I see is opportunity, and I hope that others begin to grab that opportunity and say, hey, let's forge a different path, um, because uh, we have a big uh, 2022 presidential election coming up for U.S. soccer. I think that's a a key area that everybody should be focused on. I think, as you pointed out, the state associations uh, all have elections that, that are ongoing where people um, have opportunities right where you are to get involved and uh, and slowly, over time, change the course of the direction of the Federation. So, Anthony, thanks uh, for joining the show as always. Uh, appreciate your time um, and uh, and all of your thoughts. Um, how can people connect with you on uh, social media? Uh, the social media I use the most is my Twitter, which is uh, Chico Method. Um, but uh, but I'm out there. I'm not that hard to track down if people want to. Perfect. Well, Anthony, thanks uh, for coming on the show as always. We appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. You too. That is Anthony DeChico. Really appreciate his time and uh, his thoughts on where we are in the current context of the, the U.S. Women's National Team, but women's sports, women's soccer in general, and uh, the things that we need to do to begin to build a better and brighter future. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. And when you can bring water into communities, it truly transforms them. It changes everything. Now you could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens.
Welcome back into the show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this has uh, been an extended uh, show today with so much going on uh, surrounding the, the, the Federation and the U.S. Women's National Team. I just wanted to uh, kind of close the show today. Um, first of all, big thank you to Sky Eddie Bruce as well as Anthony DeChico. Uh, spending time with us talking about uh, these issues and really a lot of things going on within the Federation that go beyond just this one case. In this case, and these comments, as awful as they are, are just reflective of the overall um, attitude and, and poor leadership that we have seen uh from the the board of directors for years uh this has not happened overnight it's not been something that has been you know all of a sudden it's been ongoing for for quite a while and to to sit here and act as though um you know the this has just come out in the last couple of days uh, or, or this is isolated to this one thing is, is not an accurate picture of the Federation. The Federation has had a closed uh, mindset about the game for a very long time. They have intentionally uh, mucked everything up and, and muddied everything up for participants they have uh, created a gatekeeper system and and have done things intentionally to limit access and opportunity for clubs, for coaches, for players, for scouts, referees, etc. And they have done so uh, with an attitude of arrogance. And they have created a, a situation of insularity uh, when it comes to the the board of directors to to the point to where it has reached a state and i've said this before and i will say it again today that um the combination of arrogance and ignorance is such a dangerous place to be because you're blinded by uh, your insularity you're blinded by what you think you know or what you think you can get away with and and when you you silo yourself off from accountability when you create um a an environment where people are unable to to democratically hold you accountable and challenge you not personal attacks i have never advocated for for personal attacks but what i'm talking about is holding accountable having a, a debate of ideas and in in having those debates of ideas occur without repercussion uh, having challenges come without repercussion that is that has not been the way this federation has been led for a very long time. Everything has come with a price. Speak out at your own peril. Speak up at your own demise. This fear has been reciprocated over and over again. Sky mentioned it today in her interview about how she 
for so long had things she wanted to say but was worried about saying them for fear uh, of of things happening to her in terms of a career or an opportunity or access and this has happened time and time again what we are seeing with the U.S. Women's National Team, what we are seeing play out in, in these court filings, this is not an accident. This was not a mistake. Let's be clear on that. It was intentional. It was well thought out. And someone or some group of people actually thought it was a good idea. And that is so disturbing. It is despicable. It is disappointing. There are not enough words to talk about how bad this strategy, these actions, and these words are and were, and the effects that they have and will have on our female players, but our, our, our people within the game, male and female, across this country. The idea that people are still in charge today, that we're in charge while these things were, were being undertaken and, and things were going on is beyond me. Grant Wall and his call for the resignation of Carlos Cordero, I second that wholeheartedly. He should resign immediately, now. And every board member that does not publicly come out and rebuke and speak against what has happened should also resign immediately. Our federation should have leaders on the board leaders leaders who lead in difficult times it's easy to to get access and 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 take the applause and and take the kudos and and the you know all of the adorations but what we what we really need from a board of directors, from an independent director, from someone who represents youth soccer, adult amateur soccer, uh, professional soccer, it doesn't matter what gamut you come from. If you are on the board of directors doing the right thing in the difficult moment, that is leadership. And we need it now more than ever. Now is not the time to crawl in a hole and hope this passes. Now is not the time to even let one person take the fall unless it was just the one person who did it all. But I have a hard time believing that is the case. I have a hard time believing that the board of directors are not culpable in some way, form, or fashion. Either you kept your head down and didn't want to know all the details so you could have deniability that's a that is a that is a in 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 denial that is a, a an opportunity for you to try to not lead not be accountable or you knew about it which is even worse and you went along with it and I get it. It's difficult. You're in a difficult situation. You're in a difficult moment. But the, the truth is, if you are in a leadership position, we're counting on you to lead. 
And in these difficult moments, we need you to lead. And it's not just our females on the board. It's our males as well. Everyone on that board needs to be accountable. They need to be on the record stating what they think of the situation, the comments, etc. And I think this whole aspect of Carlos Cordero resigning immediately, it, it may need to go beyond that. It may, it may need to be that the entire board of directors should resign and that the Federation elect a whole new slate of, 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 a, of a board. It's that serious and that egregious because what we are seeing is a cultural problem. Anthony talked about this quite a bit in our interview the culture problem within U.S. soccer. If Carlos resigns, is the culture fixed? I would argue it's not. I would argue that that it's still status quo, even if Carlos resigns. And that is not to say that that means he gets a pass or that he shouldn't resign. He should resign or he should be fired and forced out for his bad leadership and stewardship of the position. But in order to change the culture, we need to change the leadership leading the federation, and that is at the board level. This is a board that has gone rogue, a board that has done whatever it wants to do without fear or uh, of repercussion, fear of accountability, fear of transparency. And this culture has existed and permeated throughout the board for, for too long. I am glad that sponsors are speaking up. I am glad that, that the U.S. women's national team are bold and brave and amazing at what they do. But even if they were not the world's best, it still would not warrant the comments and treatment that has been been put forth by this board of directors and by this president. This is nothing personal. I, this is not a personal attack. This is an assessment of a job performance. And when I look at the president of this federation and I look at the board of this federation, both get a failing grade. Both don't measure up. There are fathers of daughters on that board there are females on that board. There are men who have worked in the game for decades. And the silence is deafening. Now is the time to put up or shut up. Now is the time to speak up for what is right, what is just, and to call out the injustice to call out the horrific legal tactics and strategy, the horrific words, the actions 
in the comments. All eyes should be on the president and the board of the federation. And changes need to happen immediately in order to change the culture and begin to rebuild a bridge and mend the fences within the federation. And if board members are not willing to be accountable, not willing to step up and put their name on record on how they feel in this situation, then you are going to be lumped in with Carlos as part of the problem and not a leader to fix the problem. That is our show today. Thanks for uh, for watching. Thanks for tuning in to this extended edition of the show. I would really, really like to thank again Sky Eddie Bruce as well as Anthony DeChico for talking about these issues, talking through where we are, the state of the game. It is time for Congress. It is time for the IOC. It is time for the U.S. Olympic Committee. It is time for CONCACAF, the members of the Federation, to to come together and stand up and call on accountability and transparency of this president and the board. Carlos needs to go. He's already failed. He should step down. But the other board members, if you're not going to speak up and speak out, you need to go as well for the betterment of the game. Thanks for watching the show. As always, you can watch on Facebook.com forward slash WRKMN. You can also now watch on BegaTV.com. That is the digital soccer channel we are building to cover the game on all levels, in all areas, here in the States and around the world. Look for more shows to be coming out on that platform soon. You can always watch on DanielWorkman.com or on Twitter. You can also connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Daniel Workman. DMs are open. See everyone again tomorrow.